Good afternoon, everyone. A very special thanks to the Coraliers for their music. A very special thanks to Mr. Dennis Pelly and his special personality and skills. Although it's already been said, I'd like to specially welcome the regional pastors who have been in for a conference, our second conference since we've established the mid-management level in the field ministry. I don't know how we ever were able to really manage all the things that we did until we established the 14 men who are here, and many of them are here today. They've been a tremendous help to church administration, to Mr. Joseph Koch Jr. and myself, and I can't thank them enough. And after this second meeting, we had very profitable meetings where we discussed many aspects of job description. And uh, the group, the 14 that we chose, is, uh, I feel, un unbelievably good. There's a very good spirit among them. Uh, they get along, that seem to, and we hope that they continue. We have 370 or so full-time ministers, plus over 725 local church elders, and they will help in the overseeing and administration. We also do want to welcome especially Mr. and Mrs. Frank Brown, regional director, and he, his wife is the regional directress of the work in Canada. They're very special people, and also Mr. George Patrickson, uh, who is head of church administration in Canada. Uh, they're also visiting here. I see Mr. Brown, but I do not see Mr. George Patrickson, but we had them here all this past week. Whenever I travel and speak, which is quite often, no matter what I speak about, whether being a peacemaker, whether talking about spiritual renewal, everybody says, can you talk to us and tell us more about the Ukrainians? Everybody wants to know about the Ukrainians, and I'm tied in with them until the day I die. <laughs> I can talk about the biggest announcements. I can talk about growth. I can talk about all kinds of wonderful subjects. But the question comes down to, what about the Ukrainians? My wife, Beverly, and I, and Ole Zajac, he wants me to pronounce it Ole, I feel better with Ole because that's the way I pronounce my brother's name, so uh, it's not that I don't like to pronounce it Ole. We just returned last week from visiting the Sabbatarians in Transcarpathia. We stayed nearly a week and a half there in Carpathia, Transcarpathia, and we stayed with the leaders of the Sabbatarians, not only of the ones in Ukraine, but the man we stayed with was the overall, the assistant director, you might say, of all Sabbatarians stretching from Tajikistan in the east, which is uh, north of India and out towards China, to uh, a federation that includes churches in Canada. It's exciting, it was very exciting for us to have contact with people with whom we have a spiritual kinship. And I know that it may be difficult to understand and for me, difficult to accept that there are other people with whom you can have a kinship that was of the type that we had when we were in Transcarpathia. But we were able to see how God is able to work with people in an area which has been religiously oppressed and where religion has been completely suppressed for the past 70 years, during the 70 years captivity, you might say, of the communists from 1917 to just the end of the 1980s. We have seen how the word of God has not only survived, and there have been efforts to stamp it out, to make it illegal, to completely drive it underground. As children are born, they're put into schools to teach them atheism, and yet you see that the word of God not only survived, but has thrived and is thriving in that land. I'd like to talk to you today about why we're involved. Again, I'm a conservative person. I don't like to venture out into new things automatically. It takes me a while to get on, in board, on board in being an avant-garde, you might say. But I've learned a lot through this process, and after this second trip, for me, and also for Oli, I found that it's more than just a friendship. It's a brotherhood, and a very special brotherhood that we've had 
with these people. And this time we talked about a working relationship with them, also plans for a summer project with Ambassador College students uh, going and helping teach English, computer skills, and help with agricultural matters too. We will have Ambassador Foundation, which sponsors projects it has in Sri Lanka, which is coming to an end, Jordan, Thailand, now will help with this project. Now, why are we involved? I feel like it's very important to answer this question. Again, we're not looking for Sabbatarians around the world. There are hundreds of different groups that call themselves Sabbatarians of one form or another. We're not the only Sabbatarians in the US. In fact, there are over 200 different groups that have some type of Sabbatarian connection from the Seventh-day Adventists to Church of God Seventh-day to mom and pop churches with just five to 10 people. We weren't looking for these people in Transcarpathia. It isn't a very marketably sensible area to go into. Doesn't make any sense. It's unbelievably difficult to get to Transcarpathia. Our corporate travel does not have special folders that they are sending out about tours to Transcarpathia. In fact, the border crossing by car is the most inhospitable border crossing that I've ever crossed. If you don't have a special permit to cross it quickly, quickly means three hours, it may be three days before you cross the border. And they don't care. There are no facilities, just a long line of cars and trucks. The reason that we're involved with these people is because they have reached out to us. A group of 14 of them came to the US three years ago now. This is November of 1990. They came to the US and they found our church. I've told this story many times. I don't want to go through it in detail. But they found us. And they reached out to us. They came here as Sabbatarians and they were looking for, as they put it, their church. We want our church in the US. Ken Smiley, the pastor of Port St. Lucie, called me and said, Vic, we've got a very interesting group of people. And I've talked to them. They keep the Sabbath, they keep the Passover, they keep many other observances that we share. And he said, they've been coming to our services. I was rather skeptical at first, thinking that, well, they'll come three, four times. And these people who don't know the language, who are so culturally different from us, will probably not amalgamate themselves to us. I was wrong. The people still attend. And the people who came, the elderly gentleman's name is Michael Palche, who was the head of the churches in Transcarpathia. He has written to me, he has spoken to me a number of times, and has said, I have found my church in the US. Victor, he says, and he considers me like a son. You need to go there, and you need to go back and see the thousands of Sabbatarians that we have in Transcarpathia and other places in Eastern Europe. Michael Palche's family has since moved to Florida, pardon me, from Florida to North Carolina. They have been attending church now, going on two and a half years. They have kept the Passover with us twice now. We have a little difficult time in knowing how to handle people of this sort. People who are Sabbatarians, people who say that this is our church, who have cleaved to us. We didn't know really how to handle the Passover with them the first year. Ken Smiley called me and says, Vic, what do we do? Should they keep the Passover with us? They're not even in our computer. <laughs> Should they keep it separately? Should they not keep it at all? Should they keep it with us? And Vic, he says, if they shouldn't be keeping the Passover with us, I'd like you to tell them. Oh, 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 I see. Well, let's get some consultation on this matter very, very quickly, which we did. 
We saw no problem having them keep the Passover with us. It was a moving ceremony with Transcarpathians and Port St. Lucians washing one another's feet. There was a bond of friendship. There was a bond of brotherhood between those people. They didn't keep the holy days the first year, but this past year they were in Florida for the Feast of Tabernacles. Two of Michael Palche's grandchildren attend Ambassador College. They completed their first year of Ambassador College, now are in their second year, doing very well, not having known the English language two and a half years ago. Michael Palche is very responsible and very much involved in our coming together with these people. Well, Bev, Olize, Jack, and I flew from Budapest. That was the last point of civilization. I never thought that Budapest would be an island of civilization. But we flew from Budapest from a grass airstrip on a little 18-seater plane that leaves three times a week from Budapest and flies to Uzhgorod, which is in on the western tip of Ukraine. And you fly across barbed wire, which is at the end of the runway, which is the Czechoslovakian border, and land. That's the only way to fly in to come into Ukraine. The car crossing is unbelievable. The other choice is the Belgrade-Serbia-Moscow Express that goes through once a day, which is, again, our travel, corporate travel has not gotten special brochures on the Belgrade-Moscow Express. We were picked up by Vasil Mondic himself, who is the head of the Federation, and his brother-in-law. And it was like we had seen each other yesterday. We hugged, we kissed, in Russian style. I had never kissed so many men. When you go to Ukraine, be prepared to kiss men. You kiss them once, when you greet them, you kiss them three times, count them three times when you leave. I kissed so many ministers with beards. I kissed so many SOS Brillo pads. They met us. I might just tell you a little bit about Vasily Montich's position. As I already mentioned, it'd be good to mention again, he's the administrator, the assistant administrator, I should say, of spiritual matters of the International Federation, International Regional Federation of Christians of the Sabbath Day. So far, it has 13 regions, and they are very loosely organized. They're just coming out of hiding, out of secrecy for years and years of operation. They've known each other all the way from Tajikistan to Europe. The jungle drums have beat through the years. But now they're coming out, they're becoming more organized, and Vasil Mondic has been appointed as the head. The regions are in Poland, there's one in Romania, Moldova, Tajikistan, in the Caucasus, Latvia, and other places. The elected leader of this federation is a man by the name of Franz Clausen, who is a Dutchman who lives in Dushanbe, Tajikistan. But Vasil Mondic hasn't heard from him in several months. There's a civil war going on. And in effect, because of the poor communications, they have made Vasil Mondic an acting director of the church in most European areas. What we, we brought in this time several items for them because we said that we wouldn't come back empty-handed when we returned. We promised to translate some booklets, and we did. We translated, finally, this was a longer and more complicated project than we thought it would be, but we have God's Holy Days in Ukrainian. Prazniki to Sviata Boži, which we were very happy to do, and Oli Zajac did a lot of work in proofreading. We had our contacts from our Radio St. Petersburg project in Kiev who did the translation, and then we had a number of people who have gone through this booklet in detail. And then our first Russian new booklet is Pochumu Verodilis, which is, Why Were You Born? So we brought them 250 copies of each of these books and are sending them another 500 each uh, this coming week. They were excited about the booklets. They're very happy with what we were able to bring them. We also donated three sewing machines to the people. And this helps them to make clothing, to make other items that sewing machines are used for, and it helps the church make money. 
Some of the churches tithe, some of the churches do not. The ones who tithe have really enjoyed the practice very much. The one in Rokosova, which is next to Hust, has been tithing now for a couple of years since Michael Palche told them that was our practice and felt it would be a good practice and they have more money than they know what to do with. The sewing machines that we gave them were delivered through other Sabbatarians in southern Germany who make a van run every so often. We also brought 60 pounds of high-yielding buckwheat, beans, peas, hybrid corn, which Dale Scherter provided. And Ole Zajac, myself, and Bev hauled all this material into Ushgorod. The seed didn't clear customs right away. We didn't have the proper medical certificate or agricultural certificate for it. And we had to take it to an agricultural institute. They had never seen anything quite like this. The women who ran the institute were excited about Americans and all this seed. And so we showed it to them, made a lot of jokes about it, joking about the kind of bugs we were importing and that type of thing. <laughs> Economic conditions are unbelievably bad in Transcarpathia and in all the former USSR. I have been to USSR and Ukraine nine different times now, and every time, progressively, it's gotten worse. When I was there last year, the median income was 20 to $30 a month. I thought that was bad. This year, it's 3 to $5 a month. It's the low end of the third world, and maybe a new category should be made called the fourth world. Because I have been in Africa, I have been in Asia, and I have not seen communications so poor and the ability to just do plain business and get around as bad as Transcarpathia. Obviously, God does not favor this area or has great favor as far as a location that's easy to do things. And yet, there are believers. There are Sabbatarians. There are real people in those areas that we have developed a very close bond with. The inflation runs at 45% a month. The currency is called the coupon. And one coupon was worth 20,000, I mean, one dollar was worth 20,000 coupons. And from the nine days that we were there, it had gone from 20,000 to 25,000 coupons to a dollar. The people joke that they are millionaires now as they carry huge bills, 50,000 coupon bills. A man said that he inherited a cow, three million coupons, and he was bragging about being a millionaire. There are terrible political and economic uncertainties because this cannot continue without something happening and traditional in Russian history, the only way that something like this is fixed is not from people getting together and deciding that we will pursue a profitable course of action. It's usually through violence and through a revolution and from a strong hand, not from God, but from a dictator. Whether you call him a president, whether you call him a dictator, whether you call him a czar, that has been the history of the people in this area. It's a very sad history. Stores were empty. I had not seen stores so empty. Clerks, but nothing to buy, except for some reason, they had salad dicers that must have come in from some Siberian factory, and stores were filled with salad dicers, piles of them, and nothing else. One clothing store had very precious little. They had two ties. They were both the same type. It said all silk, and then on the inside it said 100% polyester, <laughs> made in North Korea. That was it. That's the only tie that you could buy. I wasn't buying ties, but I was saying that if you wanted a tie, you'd have one that was horribly mismatched color-wise, made in North Korea. Nothing is available. No gasoline stations. Every car we rode in, the gas tank read empty. And the pastor who drove us around got gasoline daily almost for where we had to go. He'd get two or three liters here and there. One morning we needed to go into town and the gasoline arrived in a canister. Three liters of gasoline. 
and three liters of gasoline can, can be worth or can cost half a month's wages. There's a defeatist attitude and a can't-do mentality that's very sad in that country. The area is beautiful. I would say that if it reminds me of any particular area of the U.S., it would be Appalachia. It has beautiful rolling mountains, which are similar to the Appalachians. And we were there in the most splendiferous time of year for the colors and the apple harvest. Apples were being picked and grapes. There are beautiful grapes. Every house has a trellis with grapes on it. The area seems to be rich, but there is very little transportation. There's very little means to get these things to market, and things spoil and rot. We're driving by one pressing plant for apples. We saw huge piles of apples, and we were told that most would rot. For one thing, you can press them, but what do you put them in? What do you put the juice in? There are no bottles. There's no transportation, no way to get it to market. And it's just very sad to see that type of condition take place. Telephone communications are impossible into Transcarpathia. I've tried several times, and usually it's a one-way conversation. I'm always blessed if I get just a little bit coming one way or the other. But very little, or very often, it doesn't work. Uh, it works where you only have a one-way conversation. One of the Ukrainian Sabbatarians was fairly well-to-do in comparison to the other people. He was, we, we called him the businessman. And he had, he was buying and selling uh, different things. He had the only fax machine in Rokosovo, or in Khust. And the way it was hooked up, it was unbelievable. There were wires running everywhere. We thought, if this is going to be our, our trusty communications, forget it. We did get a, one fax to him, but that's all from the US. He did tell us that he had special privileges at the telephone company for having telephone calls going out from his home and even coming in. I said, well, what's the system? How does it work? He says, oh, you buy chocolate for the operators. And so he said that when you call, don't call me at my home. Call the operators. They all know me. I give them chocolate, and they will put you through. Ineptness, efficiency, or inefficiency and incompetence is unbelievable. It's worse than what it was under, under communist times. The streetlights were never on. And they say, oh, it's almost the end of the year. The government's out of money. We can't afford lighting. But they said before all the lights were turned off, they would burn all day long and then be turned off at night. <laughs> the many dangers. Almost wrenched my foot at the police station. I was walking across a little bridge and stuck my foot through a big spot, big open hole in the bridge. Outside where they have services, there was an open manhole with about a 15, 20 foot drop into water, completely open. Any child could run in. And they said, if that happens, you're fending for yourself. After the disengagement of the USSR, there's a lot of military surplus gear around. And one of our passengers on the plane when we came into Ukraine told us that he was on a train and he was standing, it was crowded, and a man had a wooden box. And he was just joking with him saying, hey, you got anything there that you want to sell? Man says, well, yes, I do. And so he opened up this box and it was full of hand grenades. And he says, I can't believe it, hand grenades. Oh yeah, $5 each. I said, what do you use these things for? Don't you realize this is a crowded train with people on it? Oh, he says, they're great for fishing. So you just throw one out, it explodes, and the fish float to the surface. <laughs> one of the most popular things are glasses, these night vision glasses used in desert warfare. They say, oh, they love them. They love them for night driving. You see everything. We were very impressed and felt very much at home at services. And this time, I would say that what big difference from last time that I saw most was that we could 
mingle with the lay people more than we had before. When we came the first time, the people were a little bit standoffish, a little bit afraid of us, a little bit uncertain as to what to say and what to do. This time, people would flock us before and after services and talk. And it was very obvious that they had been very accepting and had given a lot of thought since our trip last year. And of course, with the leadership, it was even more close. We went to services Friday night. Our first service was a Friday night service, mostly consisting of prayer, singing, and a few messages. And they had a very special welcome to us as guests from America, and even sang extra songs for us. There's a lot of singing in Ukraine. And one of the requirements for our Ambassador College students will be is that they will have to be able to sing. They will have to sing, because so much is done in singing. You come down into a family's home to visit, and they tell the children, why don't you sing for our guests? And so they start singing. Much of the service is devoted to praising and glorifying God. Sabbath morning, the first service went from 9 till noon, three hours. They'd already been to church two hours, Friday night. Supposed to be a two-hour service, but the final speaker went an hour overtime. The first message was given by Ole Zajac. I didn't realize how, what an eloquent speaker he is. Uh, his Slavic heart showed. It was just, he was just a different person altogether in Ukraine. Here he works in the cold, heartless area of legal. But in Ukraine, he is a completely different person. He thanked the Ukrainians for their hospitality, he went on to say that we had come as friends and wanted to help them in areas that they needed help and could not help themselves. And his basic message was about continuing to work together in love to help youth obtain an education, to help themselves and to help others. The next sermon, there would always be several songs in between the sermons and a prayer. We'd all kneel down and pray. I gave greetings from Mr. Tkach to the Transcarpathian Sabbatarians and summarized our relationship, where we had come from, and how we wanted to work together. And I gave greetings from Michael Palche in America. And believe me, people, one after another, started crying. They miss him so much. The pastor later on said, how many of you here would like Michael Palche to come and visit us? Stand up. The whole congregation just stood up all at once. I'm not sure if his health would permit him to come back and visit, but certainly he is well-loved, well-respected, and is most responsible for combining the 32 churches into one alliance and one federation when it was highly illegal. I showed them the booklets that we had translated and we made them available for the people. Later on, the mission, a charity, a charitable mission called Nazareth, which is run by the Sabbatarians, they have a reading room in Hoost and we put these booklets out for the public to read. And also the city librarian had us come into the library and we presented her with a number of copies of Why Were You Born and God's Holy Days. I also gave the main part of my sermon about the kingdom of God and quoted mostly from Matthew 13, the parables and went through the parables about how they illustrate the kingdom of God, how it begins as a mustard seed in our lives and how it grows to be something that fills the entire universe. To conclude services, a man by the name of Igor Mertke gave a report about his evangelism into Siberia. He had gone there with an entourage of 12 people, three cars, to an area that he used to live, where he had once lived for uh, 10 or 15 years. And they stayed there a good part of the summer. And they had 200 people come to evening lectures, you might say. There was a lot of singing, of course, and a lot of the campaigning that took place. One of the women who came to the Altai campaign was a woman working for the newspaper. And she was just getting out of extrasensory perception, and she found this to be interesting, and she saw how wrong that was. And he had given her a booklet that we had previously dropped off. Mr. Tkach asked me to drop off some of the literature that we used to produce in Russian that was translated by Dr. Ivan Chorny. And we used to have what kind of faith is required for salvation, which day is the Sabbath of the New Testament, 
and we had just dropped one copy off. Well, these people who were evangelizing took this literature with them to Siberia, and this woman who worked at the newspaper said, this is great stuff. And so she typed it in. She set it to type and printed 1,300 copies of it. And this is the way it looks. What kind of faith is required for salvation? It's the exact text that we had. And then it continues on into which day is the Sabbath of the New Testament? And the Ukrainians were commenting to me about, that's great strategy. You know, we didn't start off with the Sabbath. We had the people first read about what kind of faith you need. Talks about an active faith. And then they saw that they ought to be keeping the Sabbath. And 35 people have come to repentance. And so now there's a group of 35 people in Siberia, the newest church, who keep the Sabbath and are looking for more. So this booklet's available only in Siberia as of this time. <laughs> and I've told some of our people, some of our evangelists too, that we do have an opening in Siberia. And I'm not speaking figuratively, I'm speaking literally. But anybody interested in going to Altai in Siberia, we do have an opening. After Igor Mertka left, he left behind four people to work with these 35. And then they also had a number of other people come from the closest Sabbatarian church, which is a thousand miles south in Kazakhstan, to help this church get off the ground. So they had a whole plan. They came in with evangelism. They had converts. They're forming the nucleus of a church. They're having people nurture this group. And there's an entirely new church very much like the work of the Apostle Paul. So he was excited about this report, and he's the one who went an hour overtime. He couldn't contain himself about talking about the progress in Siberia. In the afternoon, they had an afternoon youth service, and a teenager, I was just really proud of him, he gave a half-hour sermon, very well delivered. And then children recited poetry and sang, then there was a special announcement about a young man, well, 43 years old, that's getting young now, who had a wife and three children and had leukemia. Doctors said that they couldn't do anything for him. And they had special prayer called for in church. In fact, everybody knelt down and prayed for this man and the minister led in a prayer. And a day of fasting was called for this man. I told him later after the service that I'd like to go and visit this man who was about 25 kilometers away, about 15 miles. And the next day or the day after, we went to the town of Irshava and visited this man. And we anointed him. The pastor, Vasil Mondic, and I discussed James 5. He said, you know, I've been reading that many times, that when one is sick, he's to come before the elders and they will anoint him with oil and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. How do you do that? We, have, we don't do this practice, but it seems so straightforward, he said. I said, I'll show you how. And I took my bottle of oil, and we both laid hands on him and prayed. It was wonderful, it was beautiful. He says, I will do this from now on. And I left him my bottle of oil. At the end of the service, jumping back to the service on the Sabbath, at the very end of the youth service, Bev and I were asked to come up front and to answer questions about the church. They asked us questions about how do we sing in church? How do we pray? Is it different from the way they do it? All the women, of course, wear little scarves. They have their hair covered. And of course, they asked us about that and why we do it and why we, do, well, why we don't do it. We explained that to them, that a woman's hair is her covering. But Bev, out of respect, wore that. You'll see some pictures. She brought them to church today. She looked very Ukrainian. They did ask us to sing. They said, well, can you and Beverly sing? I thought, oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> we declined. But I did have with me an Ambassador College chorale tape that I played on a tape recorder we set up front. They really enjoyed that. And then they said, well, after we played that, they said, can you still sing? I said, no, we're poor singers. 
I said, do you want to hear another hymn on the tape? They said, no, we want you to sing. <laughs> Saturday night, we went to Ivan Pavli's home, who is the late leader of the church, of the one that we went to services at, and had a discussion about many, many subjects. In fact, almost every evening was spent with Ukrainians talking about our beliefs, talking about our faith, sharing experiences. It was wonderful. I found that I had opened myself up more about personal things, about how I personally feel, about our salvation, about conversion, than I had in a long time to anybody. We shared these experiences with one another. They asked many questions. One was about the resurrections and what we felt about the Billy Pristol, the White Throne resurrection and the White Throne judgment period. And we went through Revelation 20 and Matthew 24 and 25 and went back into the Old Testament. It was wonderful. It was a Bible study. And everybody would be around a table and would listen. We'd go through the scriptures together. And it was fun to be with these people who challenged you on these points. But it's also wonderful to see them being accepting and seeing something that they had not seen before. We talked a lot about evangelism. In fact, when I talked about Ambassador College students coming to help, oftentimes the first reaction was, oh, they'll come and help us evangelize. Can they sing? <laughs> I do know that whoever we send will have to sing. That'll be a very important requirement. But evangelism is a big part of their work. I said, well, really our program is set up more to have our students do God's work in a different way. Uh, we would like to help Sabbatarians here to bring their level of English up or to learn, have their children learn some English or to learn certain skills that would be helpful to them. He said, well, can you do it at night? Can you sing in nursing homes? And I think that'll be just fine. Whoever goes next year for the summer will have a very interesting assignment. As I mentioned, evangelism is important, but also evangelism has begun to wear. A lot of Western evangelists have come in. At first they were interesting, a novelty, but since they have become a bother, and people have not paid attention to them as much as before. Also, many people coming in from the West have promised all kinds of help, assistance, all kinds of equipment that they have not delivered on. And even when we went to talk to some of the city officials, there was a certain guarded feeling when we talked about what our intentions were and what we wanted to do. It was like, yes, we've heard this story before, but people really don't come through and really help. At night, we talked about any number of Christian living subjects. One of the ones that we had the most active discussion on was about usury, about interest, charging interest, about doing business. What is a Christian's responsibility? Again, what was so rewarding about the experience was is that I could explain the concept to them in a way that they had not heard before or had not commonly discussed among themselves. I linked scriptures about usury in the book of Proverbs with Christ saying that a person who doesn't put his talent at least to the bank for interest is an unprofitable servant and talked about what usury was and how it was abuse rather than any interest being charged. We talked about the gospel of Christ, what we believe the gospel of Christ to be. We talked about the cross. They also do not use the cross as something they display. I asked them, why don't they use the cross? They said, well, you don't venerate the object that's used to kill someone. We talked about the kingdom of God since that was the sermon subject I had the day before, or the afternoon uh, before that, they wanted to go through that and go through the scriptures all over again. These people are hungry for knowledge. They are very quick to open their Bibles and want to go through something and to study it and to read somewhere else in the Bible what it says about the subject. We had a very good discussion about the kingdom of God and how it begins in our lives now, and how the kingdom of God will come in its fullness with the return of Jesus Christ and his government being established here on the earth. We went through many passages in the Old Testament, 
many passages in the New Testament. We discuss the nature of God. We discuss the law of God. The law of God is very important to them. There's a special love that they have for God, and they show that appreciation by keeping his law. The most lengthy discussion was about the holy days, since we had brought the book now, and some of them had read it. Some of them had scanned it, and some of them were actively reading it as we were talking about it. And we had a lengthy discussion about how the holy days focus on Christ and salvation. That was a problem with them because a number of people, the people in especially Romania were keeping the holy days. But one thing they found that with some of those who started keeping the holy days would minimize Christ. As the pastor told us, they would start keeping the holy days, then they'd start wearing beards and beanies, and then they would say Christ was the son of a carpenter. But he said that I have defended the keeping of the holy days, that's what Vasily Mondish told us, because the worldwide church of God has been keeping them for 60 years, and Christ is still the center of their worship. And I said, Amen. I could say Amen a lot easier there than I do here. I became kind of active. <laughs> I said, the Passover is about salvation and is about Jesus Christ, which they keep. Most of them keep the Passover. But I said, unleavened bread pictures the righteousness of Christ being placed over us. I said, Pentecost is the receiving of God's Holy Spirit that comes through baptism in Jesus Christ. The Feast of Trumpets is the return of Jesus Christ. I say, by keeping the holy days cyclically, and I told them that I had kept them for over 30 years, I'm reminded of the workings of Jesus Christ in my life. And I find salvation, and I'm reminded of that salvation by observing the holy days. Talked about the Day of Atonement, a time of reconciliation. The Feast of Tabernacles, the rule of Jesus Christ on the earth. And the last great day, salvation being made available to all. They had not heard some of these things before because some of them observed the Holy Days but had no knowledge as to what they meant. They were an end in themselves. I pointed out to them that they pictured something much higher, something much bigger, they pictured our hope. They pictured what we're all about and what our faith is and explained it. And I said, I glorify Jesus Christ by keeping the holy days. That's one way that I show glory to Jesus Christ. That's how I worship, honor, and glorify Jesus Christ. Because in them, I find a plan of salvation for myself. That is a subject that they're taking very much under advisement to be studied further over the next year, and with our literature, it'll be helpful. I found that in our conversations and in all the discussions that I had with them night after night, there was never any unpleasantness in our discussions. They were curious about what we would say, and I was fascinated and curious by their understanding. On Sunday, now this is still a first weekend, we had so much church. We had two hours Friday night, five hours of services on the Sabbath, and then a wedding ceremony Sunday morning. They were so happy that we could be there just for, at that time when there was a wedding ceremony where 400 people came. The bride and groom came up to a special at services and asked us to come. There was a three hour ceremony on Sunday morning. Ole and I said we're overdosing on services here this weekend. They had four speakers. They wanted four different people to speak at the service. And I was asked to be the third speaker. And they said we would like to hear some advice from America to this young couple. So I spoke about the subject of communication. And I mentioned how the average American man speaks 15,000 words a day and how the average American woman speaks 25,000 words a day, <laughs> and how the man speaks his 15,000 words at work, he's done when he comes home. 
the woman is just getting ready for her 25,000 words. <laughs> I was quoting this from a Gary Smalley tape. The woman smiled in the audience. I had a woman come up afterwards and say, oh, I love my husband so much, but he never talks. <laughs> the minister, when he was asking the final blessing on the couple, and he was praying and asking a blessing and reading from Ephesians 5, and then he said, and as Brother Victor has said, the woman speaks 25,000 words a day. I still say that in 1 Peter 3, it says that a woman is to be of a meek and quiet spirit. So I had a little bit of correction at that point. This, the sermons, actually the messages were quite good that were given. The first one was about Christ marrying the church and how our marriage is a type of that. Another message was about how two different people are different and how you come together and you have to adjust in marriage. Actually gave a very instructive sermon. They had so many things happen in the ceremony. The groom's parents came up and they asked a blessing. The bride and groom themselves asked a prayer. Advice and encouragement was given. There was so much happening. And then the reception line. Everybody came through. Kissed the groom and the bride. Well, my wife wanted a picture of the bride and groom kissing each other. I mean, they had kissed hundreds of people that day. I said, well, how about kissing each other? We'd like to get a picture of this. Oh, no, we can't do that. You know. She finally did get them to do that. Then a complete dinner outside for everybody. And they had people working the night before. They had, were killing chickens, and they had a calf that they were pulling the meat off all night. The next weekend, we had a Friday night's Bible study in Hoost, and we're about to leave for Bible study, and I see that there's no car. They say, oh, we don't drive on the Sabbath. So in pitch black darkness, we walked over to services. We went through 2 Corinthians 3. I was amazed as to how close it was to how we conduct our services, our Bible studies. One person, first of all, read the entire chapter. We were going through 2 Corinthians 3. He read the entire chapter, and then we went through it verse by verse. And one of the verses talks about how we are a letter showing Christ. We are to be examples. And the example that was used, the minister then called on different people in the audience, well, how do you practice that? Or give me an example of that particular verse. And a person said, well, we are to be examples. We are to be lights. We're to be the salt of the earth. As we know, we stand in bread lines for many hours. And when we stand in line and people know that we're a Christian, and if we get impatient or if we try to cut into line ahead of where we should be, we're defaming the name of Christ. I thought to myself, we just couldn't use examples like that. Our lines are to Hughes or at Ralph's, not at a bread line where you don't know whether you'll get bread at the end of the line. After Bible study, then I was asked questions. They said, we have a special visitor. Let's ask him some questions. And he asked me questions about speaking in tongues, the holy days, which are a big topic now since our booklet was available there. And some of the people were asking me pretty pointed questions. And one person was quite aggressive. And then a minister says, well, I've got a question for you now. Why do you only come to Bible study when we have American visitors? So he was put in his place. <laughs> we walked back in pitch darkness. The next day we walked to services, about a mile and a half each way. And I gave a sermon about Psalm 15. About he whose walk is blameless, and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart. And I supported that by using the Sermon on the Mount. What was interesting to them afterwards to both the ministers at that particular service, he said, we really like your style of speaking, even when you spoke about the kingdom of God. They said, because you have a theme, you have scriptures which support 
the subject that you're speaking about, and you have other scriptures that you tie in to make the subject more complete. Our ministry is not trained. We need help in this area. And indeed, some of the speakers that we heard spoke either about everything or about nothing, just seemingly nothing in between, because it was unfocused. Some of them had things that were focused, but not too often. The pastor, Vasil Mondic himself, gave excellent sermons, but others who would come and preach would oftentimes be very broad in their material. And they said, we would really like to have some help in training our ministry to be able to speak in some organized fashion. We would like to have some help with homiletics. We would like to have some help in understanding the Bible more completely. And they said, one thing we would like you to do is if you could give us some sermon outlines, just give us outlines, and we could pass them out to our ministers, and they could speak from those outlines. They said that their ministers who prepare their sermons speak 12 minutes. When they don't prepare, they speak for an entire hour. They also would like to know and have more information about how we're set up as a church. They're just going through the birth pangs of organizing their church. And it's slow. They're finding out there's more difficulty than they thought there would be because of communications, because the congregations are so scattered and have differences even doctrinally among themselves. And sometimes a few of these things need to be worked out. Some are worked out, some are not. But in Transcarpathia itself, all the Sabbatarian churches have come together in one federation, one alliance. Five of those churches have registered with the government, but the others are very wary of registering with anybody. For that matter, even being part of this union itself, because if a dictatorship should come back and there would be more repression on religion, they would remember when their people had to go to Siberia they would remember when their people had their house, houses and property confiscated. And they didn't want that to return. Here we were in a completely different world. I thought to myself, we've got it just so great in the US. And we have such a wonderful structure in our church. And they have so very little to work with. And they've come from conditions that were difficult. And they're reaching out to us. That's why we're there. We didn't go looking for them. They came and found us. And again, it's more than just a friendship. It's a bond that I feel, and I feel very personally, is a spiritual bond. I can work with these people. I can talk to them. I can share the truths. I can share the things that I know with them. I can talk to them face to face, not in a way to get them to understand what I have, but to explain what I believe, and to have a dialogue. There was not a single time where we had unpleasantness in our conversations. Now, I'm sure, and I'm not that idealistic to realize that it will be this way forever. On the other hand, I found that I could talk, and I could have a rational, interesting, informative give-and-take presentation. We also were led to meet a few other Church of God, or I should say, uh, Sabbatarian churches that were not in the alliance of these churches. And these happened to be the churches that were allied with the Church of God's Seventh Day. There has been a little bit of, let's say, misunderstanding, that would probably be the best word to use, between them, <clears throat> and a little bit of ill will. And really is a little, it wasn't that much, but they were not allied with them. We asked them, could we visit the pastors of these other churches? Vasil Mondic was very quick to say, yes, of course. And we went to visit the pastor and talk to them and discuss some of the differences that they've had between themselves. I told them that we had befriended some Church of God Seventh-day ministers in the U.S., that we have a dialogue with them, we have even a budding friendship with the Church of God Seventh Day. They found this to be very interesting because I feel it's going to be helpful to bind together a rift they have there by the fact that we have at least a friendship with these people. 
While we were there, we had the opportunity to visit with the mayor again, who asked me, well, what do you want? I said, I would like to have your blessing for working in this area. And he said that we could have the use of facilities, the use of schools, the use of anything we would like that they can give when we start our Ambassador College project in that area. We also met with the head of the county. You might say that's the closest thing that I could compare it to. His name was, again, <laughs> coincidentally, Vasil Mondic also. And uh, he was the county commissioner or head of that whole Hoost area. And again, I told him about some of the plans that we had and had his support. A big part of my appeal to these people was a need to work together and support one another. And that was even when talking to the secular officials. Because one of the problems of Slavic people is that they do not work together very well and show support for one another. They will show all kinds of deference to outsiders, but oftentimes will not show support, care, and love for one another, which is often the reason for conditions being as bad as they are in Slavic countries. I mean, they hate to see people who have entrepreneur skills because they feel that they are ripping off the public. They just don't understand how business is conducted and that all people can benefit. And they have a hard time accepting a neighbor's blessing. In fact, I was talking with the mayor, and we were talking about the subject because he was bringing it up himself. And one thing that we mentioned to them was a story going around about poor Olga, who was sad. And she was being comforted by her neighbor or by a relative. Olga, why are you so sad? She says, I don't know. Well, Olga, what's going to make you happy? Well, maybe if my neighbor's pig dies. It's this type of mentality that maybe is hard for us to understand, but the people don't show the kind of support that really is helpful to one another. The pastor himself even told us, he says, in hell, there were two cauldrons. In one cauldron, there was a demon standing in front of it, protecting it from having people crawl out. But the other one had nobody protecting that cauldron. The cauldron that had no protection was a Ukrainian cauldron. Because anybody who tried to crawl out, the others down below would pull them back down. The cauldron that had, no, that had protection was full of Jews, because each one was helping the other one out. And I say, look, you even talk among yourselves about the lack of cooperation in helping one another. This is something that you need to understand, something that's very important for getting along and helping everyone. We have a big difference, I should say a very improved relationship that developed from this visit as compared to last year. Because we truly became brothers, not just in word, but in spirit. I truly, honestly, from my heart, felt that. We had a chance to talk to more of the people, meet more of them. We were able to expand our circle of contacts that we have made with those people. We personally were very inspired by being with people filled with the first love, a love of being able to come out of secrecy, out of hiding, and be able to share their faith with others. Their stories about how they operated were chilling. They talked about how they would print songbooks and send different parts of the songbook to different homes where they would cut them and put them together. They talked about how they would have Bibles sent out, but they would put false book covers on them so that the officials wouldn't spot them as Bibles, or even make them into two books with different covers. That's the way they operated for many, many years. But now they can go public, and they can't wait to share their faith. They can't wait to share their love for God. These people are intelligent, they're knowledgeable, we were amazed as to these people's devotion to God, and we were amazed as to their faith. It's not a simple faith. It wasn't just 
a faith not based on understanding anything or being told something, I found that generally the people were quite literate in reading the Bible. I was amazed as to how deep their faith ran. And some of them had to prove it and have proved it over the years. One of the Sabbatarians, one of the ministers, came to us with a packet of information sent from the US. Would you believe it's from one of the dissident organizations from, that's against this church, had sent them a whole packet of information about the Worldwide Church of God. They said, what is this? And I said, well, these are people who hate us. These are people who want to destroy us. And they said, oh, and they said, you're persecuted too. Welcome to the club. <laughs> Actually got points. Their love and their faith is inspiring. They have to live their faith. They do live their faith. They need God. Their religion is just not just a gloss over their life. The charitable mission Nazareth is still helping the poor. People who make $5 a month helping the poor. That was moving to us. Personally, I found myself very charged. It was very difficult to leave, and we had tears in our eyes when we left these people. The pastor's wife was crying as we were leaving their home because of the closeness, because of being able to share our thoughts and have the type of give and take on so many subjects that we had covered in the week and a half stay that we had. We had lots of time. There was no television to watch. There were no other distractions except talking and getting into each other's heart. I found that I could pray with Basil Mondich very easily. We prayed many times. It seemed natural. We knelt down and we asked for God's direction and guidance, and we could share very, very personal thoughts about God with one another. I found it very easy and very natural. We have to appreciate these people's culture and their nature. I do feel it would be good to continue working with them, but the last thing they need is our culture over here. They need things that they can't get for themselves, and we can help them in that way. But they themselves are fearful as to what Western culture can do. Oftentimes, the worst of Western culture is first to come in. Michael Palche, when we first met, said that we want to learn from you. We do want to learn things from the Worldwide Church of God. But he said, maybe there are things that you can learn from us. And I learned a lot from these people and still have a lot to learn about devotion, about family, about caring. Sometimes things that in our heavy industrial age are very difficult to accomplish and to do. I'd like to conclude, since I've been talking about what we have said to them and shared with you secondhand our feelings towards these people, I would like to read a letter that Vasil Mondich wrote to Mr. Tkach, because it gives a little bit of the heart and feeling of these people in how they feel about us. The heading on the letter is John 17, 23. I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. October 31st, 1993. Respected Pastor General Joseph Tkach and the Worldwide Church of God in America. Blessings to you and peace from God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank God for you, followers of Jesus Christ, in whom we believe also. It is apparent that knowledge of him knows no borders, and his knowledge covers the entire earth. In the faces of your representatives, we found close family and turned to you as brothers and sisters. Glory to Jesus Christ, dear brothers and sisters, beloved of God. The Federation of Christians of the Sabbath Day of Transcarpathia, the Charitable Mission Nazareth, and the Church of the City of Hust greets you. Sounds like the Apostle Paul. 
We rejoice in our common faith because it is our guide in our journeys on this earth. Our faith is our comfort, joy, and hope. Through faith, we have found the holy God and his will. We have a wonderful opportunity to interest you in our common work for the glory of the eternal God, because we are sure that he who has begun a good work in you will accomplish it until the day of Jesus Christ. The Charitable Mission Nazareth, the Christian Church of the Sabbath Day of the City of Hoost, and also the Federation of the Churches of Transcarpathia express their sincere thanks to the Worldwide Church of God, especially you, Joseph Tkach, for the desire to work together with us and for the investment you have already made in this venture. We're also happy and thankful for your representatives, Victor Kubik, Beverly Kubik, and Oli Zajac, who came to Ukraine, to Transcarpathia, to the Christian churches of the Sabbath day with good and charitable intentions, to make good contacts and relations in our working together in the name of Jesus Christ, to help the Christians in Ukraine, but also our society, and to do this at a time when it's most needed. We are very pleased with what we have heard about your plans and projects. From our side, from the Federation, and from Nazareth, we will give moral, physical, and whatever financial support possible for these important projects. We highly value your proposal to teach the English language, computer skills, and you're helping us with high-quality and high-yielding agricultural techniques. We are very thankful for the humanitarian aid that we have received from your representatives. We, especially our ladies, are thankful to Beverly Kubik for her practical help and advice with the sewing machines you sent and for her pleasant and interesting conversation. She made a pleasant impression on our congregation as a mother, friend, and sister who we can trust and share our problems for which she was able to give us useful advice. Our acquaintance with you and your representatives made a pleasant impression. And we hope that this is the only beginning of the practical and useful joint venture between our organizations that will produce good Christian relations. We ask that you give Michael Paul Chase sincere thanks for his part in bringing us together as families, as family. We trust that some of the differences in our doctrine will not harm our brotherly friendship and that we can together continue to work for the one God, the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Through him, we accept you those you send, and your projects with our open hearts and sincere souls. We are very happy that our relationships are mutually beneficial. We no longer wonder when our brethren in Western Europe and America say that we have preserved values that some have lost in economically more developed countries. Yes, we have economic problems. You have problems of a different nature. But we are thankful that God's grace is on us and that his mercy is without measure. With these tools, in the unity of the Spirit, we have been called into this peace. Our hope is that we will continue our mission in our earthly journeying. May God bless you. May he protect us on earth. May kindness be with all of us. May God help us together work realistically in these proposed projects. In the name of Jesus Christ and his glory, amen. With respect, Vasil Mondic pastor, administrator of the International Regional Federation of Christians of the Sabbath Day, and Victor Pavli, director of Charitable Mission Nazareth.